0: Do you have solo economic dependency? That is, if you aren't working, you aren't making money. The Art of Passive Income podcast is the solution. Discover passive income models so you can enjoy life on your own terms. Let freedom ring.
1: Hey, it's Mark Podolsky, The Land Geek, with your favorite niche real estate website, www.thelandgeek.com. And before we talk today's guest, who's kind of a big deal, it's really a really big deal. I would be remiss if I didn't properly introduce my co-host, Scott Todd, from scotttodd.net, landmoto.com. And Scott Todd, look, the only way you could close 197 deals last year is if you automate and you automate and you automate. And the way that Scott automates and the way I automate is postingdomination.com forward slash the land geek. Scott Todd, how are you? Mark, I'm great. How are you? I'm excited to talk to our guests because I'm really interested in becoming a better
2: entrepreneur and um, a better thinker and maybe even a better person. Yeah. You know what I'm interested in? I'm interested in knowing how this one person was able to build up a network of sites to get two and a half million page views.
1: That's a lot of page views.
2: It is. It's I'm,
1: I'm lucky if, if uh, my website gets like two. I think you
2: get more than that. Come on. 10. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Not uh, two know, and a half million. I, I'll tell you what, Mark, I, I, uh, I, I felt very, very good uh, up until like about 30 seconds ago when I saw the two and a half million, because I was looking at my like Google analytics of my site and I, I'm like, I, I thought I was doing well. You know, I was, I'm, I've hit five figures a month, uh, five, you know, I, I, in excess of 10,000 page views a month, it's not two and a half million.
1: That's what I got to get to. Well, let's talk to our our guests and see how we can get to two and a half million. You ready? I'm ready. Matt Paulson from MattPaulson.com is an entrepreneur, an angel investor, and an author. His largest business, MarketBeat.com, makes real time financial information available to investors at all levels. And he does this through his uh, daily investment newsletter, which has attracted more than 400. And thirty thousand subscribers. He also has a podcast, uh, the Startup Q&A. Um, but he, his financial news website attracts more than four million page views each month. MarketBeat was recently recognized as the fastest-growing privately held company in South Dakota by Inc. in its annual Inc. 5,000 rankings. Many major out, media outlets have featured MarketBeat's reporting, including Barron's, Wall Street Journal, CNBC, MarketWatch, and seeking alpha however you know matt's also an angel investor he's got a couple other companies as well
3: he's got you know his
1: books he's a big deal matt paulson how the heck do you become such a prolific entrepreneur
3: um i work really hard and i will only do one thing at a time so i I figure out okay what's the what's the one thing i'm working on now and you know i I work on that until it hits its natural conclusion so it's you know, you, you look at my resume, my LinkedIn profile, it looks like I've got a stupid number of things going on, but, you know, really I'm only working on one of those things at a time because, like, if you look at when all these things started, you know, it's really like one a year, so I kind of pick out one new thing a year and add that to the list and, um, you know, after a while, I get good at it and it doesn't take much time. Like, running the Angel Fund maybe takes two hours a month, so it looks really impressive on paper, but it's, you know, there's not a whole lot of time that goes into it.
1: How did you learn to do all this stuff?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, it really started, you know, probably when I was like 10. Um, I wrote HTML um, when I was a kid, uh, made a little website for myself, and eventually I made like a website about SimCity. And, um, you know, I was getting maybe 25 page views a day when I was in like seventh grade in the 90s um, for my website that's uh, SimCity 2000 cheat codes. And uh, um, I I really cut my teeth in some of the basics then. And, um, you know, I, I went to... I went to college, I got an undergraduate degree in computer science, so I learned all the stuff that I hadn't learned by myself before and um, just got a really good technical understanding of, you know, how web programming works and then just kind of intermingled that with some good business and marketing knowledge and it's just a very dangerous combination of skills put together. That is dangerous.
1: Matt, tell us a little bit about your parents. What do your parents do?
3: Uh, so they are, my dad's retired now. He was a police officer for 25 years and my mom was a school librarian for many years. And right now she does HR at Walmart and she's, you know, they're both in their mid sixties. So they're getting ready to retire, but they both had blue collar jobs and, you know, nothing that was all that remarkable or exciting. But, you know, one thing that they, they did that kind of set me up for success as a child was. Um, we were one of the first five families in our city to have cable internet, so we had cable internet in the year 2000, which was probably, you know, four or five years before everyone else had it. We had a home computer, which most people didn't have. Um, in eighth grade, I got a computer in my own bedroom, which was just, you know, um, you know really set me up for, um, you know, I had pretty much unlimited time then, and I had a device that was connected to the rest of the world, and, you know, I spent a lot of time on it. I learned a lot, and, um, you know, those... You know, years of just exploration of the early internet, um, you know, ha- have paid off some some pretty big dividends. Scott Todd. Well, you know,
2: Matt, one of the things that you said that I really really liked is the fact that you're working on like one thing at the time mm-hmm. at a time, right? Like, I think that a lot of people they they think like uh, serial entrepreneurs, or um, you know, they they think of like. Jack uh, Dorsey, you know, Twitter and Square, and I can do all these things and I can be as successful and I can run these massive companies when in fact it takes a lot of work to just do one thing. Yep. And, you know, do you see that a lot with entrepreneurs that you're talking to that they're trying to do all these things because they want to
3: blow up and scale up right away? Yeah, that uh, that is kind of one of the top five mistakes is working on two or three different big projects at once. Um, you know, starting a business is just a crap ton of work. It's a lot more work than any of us realize going into it. Um, it's a 40 hour, 50 hour a week thing for a couple years. And if you're not willing to put that into one business, then it's probably not going to be successful. So if you try to do kind of a half hearted job on three different businesses at once, it's just, it's not going to get very far. Um,
1: yeah, you know, you know what I kind of thought was really interesting, Scott and Matt is that Matt's parents, um, weren't sort of like the Sherpa of his success in a way. And so often um, we don't see that a lot where you kind of, you know, sort of blend into your environment, right? So it would be really logical if Matt became a firefighter, right? Or a teacher.
3: I would suck at those things.
1: Yeah, but, you know, instead his parents kind of said, hey, it looks, looks like Matt's got some unique skills and he's interested in computers. Like, let's go ahead and foster that. Right. Yep. Where um you know, I, I you know, it's like do you ever see that documentary up? Do you guys ever see that?
2: Scott, yep. you saw it? Yeah, yeah, shut up.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's an interesting idea, like, you know, what you're born into, it's really tough to get out of those situations. Mm-hmm. Um and uh but Matt, what would you say the, the, the greatest lesson was that your your parents taught you?
3: No, it was you know, they did they did a really good job of fostering my interest um, you know they I had like half the amount of money I needed to buy a computer. They loaned me the other half and you know they didn't really have the money to do that, but somehow they, they found it so um, they they recognized that I had an interest I had and and a talent with you know technology and you know they really did the best they could do to foster that. They made sure I got into all the good computer classes in high school they I think there was some kind of camp that they sent me to that was I don't really remember what the details were, but, uh, you know, for computer stuff. Um, they, you know, they, they saw the interest, they saw the talent, and they didn't try to foster me into being anything that they wanted me to be. They saw, hey, you know, our, our child is interested in this. Let's um, enable him or encourage him to, to follow his own interest and talents. Um, so many parents have, like, the, the desire to live out their childhood dreams to their own children, and my, my parents didn't do that. Like, you know, my, my dad didn't put me in Little League because, you know, he, he wanted to do really well in baseball but just they they didn't do that i i really appreciate that about them
2: that's that's huge yeah um yeah i mean i think that uh it's like mark i know like with my own son he's got interests that are not necessarily mine i i'm sure your your children are the same way you know like they've got interests that you're like where did that come from yeah but um, if you can just like just support them in some way you know you not sure where it's going to end up but you could you could create someone like matt
3: yeah I mean, that's the whole kind of Montessori teaching style. It's, you know, what are the children gravitating to and encourage them in that. And, you know, my kids are four and one, so it's kind of early to do that. But if a kid wants to play Legos, it's all right, let's go play Legos. I'm not going to force you to go play something else.
1: Yeah, and now that education is so abundant, there's sort of no excuse anymore of not being able to learn something that you're mm-hmm. interested in. Um, that that kind of is gone, like where it used to be Hey, you'd have to have some kind of, you know, connections or you'd have to have some type of, you know, innate talent, maybe. And then, you know, someone would kind of, you know, like the Medici's, like they would kind of be like your, you know, your your benefactor, if you will, and kind of support you. Um, I mean, today, you want to take a class at Stanford, take a class online at Stanford, it's not cost you anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's almost like to really be successful in, in the upcoming years, you have to learn how to learn and love to learn. Mm-hmm. And and be curious about that. So so Matt, um, if we're going to extract your success, mm-hmm. right, and you're going to say, okay, this is why I've been so successful, and this is sort of my killer um, competitive edge, right? Yeah. What would you say? It's, what, what do you say it would be besides hard work?
3: No, I I really think it is. I'm going to outwork people. Um, and how, really, okay, then how do you I've do been that? We're going to do it for decades at a time. So I have been working. At least 50 hours a week for the last 12 years. Um, I started this, you know, my business, my first business when I was in college. Um, So while everyone else was, you know, partying on a Saturday night and not working too hard in their classes and, you know, playing video games after that, everyone else was playing, I think, Halo 2 on Xbox 360 um, in our dorm. I was the guy, you know, sitting on a computer in my dorm room writing blog posts for my personal finance website. So it's, you know, not only was I, I willing to outwork people, it was I was doing it at a point in life when other people didn't think working that hard was all that important. Um and I was I, I could even go back into high school so just you know, I, I wasn't working like a hundred hours a week, but you know, I was working, you know, on my stuff, um, you know, probably thirty, forty hours a week, you know, in in high school when everyone else was doing high school stuff. So it's uh, I think you know start I'm 31 now. Um obviously I have had a, a lot of success but I mean this is a journey that probably started you know 15 years ago now.
1: Yeah, you know it's funny now that you're an angel investor what do you what do you look for in an entrepreneur? that that will say okay mm-hmm. you've re- no not only do I like your idea but I like you enough I'm going to put some money towards it.
3: Yeah, so um in our angel fund there there's a few criteria we look for. Um you know one we look for scalable companies because you know the assumption is seven out of the ten companies we invest in are going to fail, um, so the three companies we have have to really make up for that, up for those losses. So we want you know companies and people that can really grow something to seven or eight figures in annual revenue. Uh, we are looking for people that are local because this is a Falls, South Dakota angel fund. It's not a California angel fund, and you know I assume if somebody's coming to me from California asking for money, um, they tried to raise money in the valley and it didn't work out. So you know why the heck are they calling me? Um, if, if there's all the money there, but for the person, yeah, um, you know, you know, we we understand that business ideas, business models change. The first thing you start is not going to be what your business ends up as, so you're betting on the person, the team, as much as they are, um, as we are, for the idea. So you know, I'd rather bet on the, the the right person in the wrong race than the wrong person in the right race. And you know, one one really early flag that kind of you know sets people off. It's like, you know, we took people to apply on Gus, which is kind of the platform we use to manage our deal flow. And the people that, is, you know, the deal seemed to be going well are the ones that had no problem doing that, and they just did it right away and, and were responsive to that request. And you know, the, the, the people that, you know, just can't seem to throw an online application for the life of them, even though we're going to give them $100,000, um, you know, those are those are the people that just don't seem to have their crap together um, with... Uh, Uh, when they pitch or even like when we look at their deal, So it's, you know, really responsiveness to our, you know, request is really kind of an early indication of whether or not this person has their crap together, which in turn will determine if their business is going to be successful. Um, I mean, if you have to ask somebody for something four times and they don't do it, I mean, that's that's a pretty big red flag. So that's kind of the first thing that I look for. Then it just, you know, after that, it's... um, or do they seem like they have their stuff together? Do they understand their industry? Do do they know enough to know the, what they don't know? Or the, maybe a better way to put that is, do they know enough to recognize there are things about their industry that they don't understand and are looking to figure out? Or are they the people that know everything um, or think they know everything already? And the people that think they know everything already are, are typically the ones that are, are going to get into trouble because... They don't like think that oh this giant company that's in the same space I I'm in maybe they want to tackle the same idea and people that that set aside those um, you know notions of there are other people working on this too or you know, just people think they've got all their stuff figured out and aren't going to you know accept that there's something out there that they don't understand um, um, that that's also a red flag for me.
2: Lack
1: do, of humility. Do, Go ahead, Scott.
2: I mean, do do you think like like I came from a from a large company mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, one of the things that I continue to hear all the time is you know, like we we worked in a space where there was a lot of startups, but not necessarily direct competitors. They were indirect competitors. They they wouldn't do like car sharing, ride sharing kind of a thing. Yep. And you know, the one thing I I continued to hear is, um, oh well, the big companies, you know, that they're they don't have the the you know the desire or they don't have the intelligence to go do do this stuff. When in fact we we did and we had the capital to do it also. Yep. Um, and I think that what's funny about for for me, what's funny about that is that you know, there's books that are written about oh how how large companies can't pivot and large companies can't get into new new spaces or new technology. But you know what? It I think that's very naive because I've seen firsthand that large companies can and will and
3: will will either buy you up or 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 kill you, yep. one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, there are so many stories of Microsoft in the '90s, like trying to buy out companies and then when they say no, then Microsoft just goes into went into that same space and just killed them. Um, yeah I mean it's, you You can't be, you can't have too much hubris and say you know these big companies are clueless because you know they've got you know eight, nine figures of capital at their disposal and can buy all of your competitors and just crush you if they want to. It's like they don't have to get everything right, they can throw enough money and people and resources at something where even if you have some secret sauce it won't matter because um They've got. They can just kill you with the amount of resources they have and are willing to throw at something. And I'm guessing that any big company is going to need to be be less can be less profit, be not not profitable for a lot longer than you can be. You're going to run and out of yet, money, and they'll just consider you know a sunk you know a sunk cost. And
2: yeah, and that's the thing. Is like they they can like you can the money that a small company might might uh, lose, and it might be a big deal to a large company. It could be a, yeah. you know a few executives' pay. Mm-hmm. and like it just goes un- under the radar as operating costs. It's like it's not even hitting the radar yet.
1: So yeah. It's a rounding error.
2: Yeah, it's a rounding error, right? hmm So, Matt,
1: how can Scott and I get the 4 million page views a month?
3: Yeah, so what I figured out that nobody else figured out until I started talking about it and made the mistake of talking about it was um, I figured out that there is an entirely different kind of SEO ball game for news about publicly traded companies. So there are lots of places that have news about, you know, say Wells Fargo or Apple or Bank of America or whoever. Um, Yahoo Finance, MSN Money, Twits, Twitter, um, they all have vertical searches for news about publicly traded companies. And I figured out, you know, I could get into those places and, you know, the way that you do it in each of those different vertical search places is different. But we started producing content at scale using a technology that we kind of developed in-house about seven years ago to create um, financial news stories based on um, structured financial data. So that probably doesn't make any sense to anybody. But um, if you think of how, you know, the game Mad Libs works where you fill in words and you get something really funny at the end, we kind of do something very, I mean, that's a very basic version of what we do. But it's like, say, this company announced their quarterly earnings. They announced this much per share they had this much per revenue and you know that goes on for about 400 words you do that a thousand times a day over you put it you know you put it into these different financial search vertical platforms you can do really well and we've done really well with that
2: genius now was that that on
3: uh planet money Uh, were you guys featured on planet money uh, we were not um automated insights were which is a company that's doing something similar but we started probably Four years before they did, and if I were a smart entrepreneur, I would have patented the idea then and there. But twenty-some-year-old um, Matt didn't think to do that, so there—that cost me probably ten million dollars. <laughs> oh, that would have been a very valuable patent. But uh, because Mark in this one
2: Planet Money episode, they they actually show like, hey, here's the um, here's yep. the content that a writer wrote, and here's the content that the artificial intelligence wrote, and you really can't tell a difference. Yeah, you
3: can't. Um, yeah, because. Yeah, their story was about the Associated Press and they're using automated insights technology to create those articles, but we were doing it four years before they were, or I sort of saw that announcement It's was like, ah, oh, welcome to the party. Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: yeah it's, it's incredible. Um, yeah, there, yeah it's, it's the best time ever to be an entrepreneur. But, so Matt, if we, if we rewound the tape, right, and you were going to give young Matt some entrepreneurial advice, what would you tell him?
3: Yeah, I mean, if I were starting over today, I would definitely not like, like what I, my business works because I started it, you know, eight or nine years ago. It, it wouldn't work well today starting from scratch because, you know, the stuff that's out there now that I'm doing, at the AP is doing, is so good that it's unless you've got you know eight years of runway to work on it, or you're the Associated Press, it's it's hard to come up with quality content that that's this good. Um, I, I probably wouldn't even tell somebody like me to try because, um, the people in, um, mostly India, Pakistan that have tried to copy my business, um, they just, they, they can't replicate the software. Um, they just haven't been able to do that. And like, if I didn't have it now and I didn't know exactly how it was done, I don't think I could do it again. Um, like if I, I'd been working on something else for eight years, it's just, it's that complex. So I, I think I would, if, so like in my other businesses, um, they're kind of based on kind of outbound marketing strategies. So like I think you know, SEO today is kind of a, a game that's just too hard to win for anybody that's not going to be the SEO guy 24-7, 365. So I'm, I'm really bullish about um, you know direct email marketing stuff like with GoGo Photo Contest. Our th- only marketing strategy is emailing animal shelters and saying, hey, do you want to run our photo contest fundraiser? Most organizations like yours will make five to $10,000 doing this. And we get a pretty good response rate. I mean, we run four or 500 contests a year with animal shelters around the country. It's a little business that makes a quarter million dollars. And, you know, there, there's no SEO involved. There's no Facebook ads or Google ads or any of the strategies that anyone else is doing. Um, just the fact that we found a database for animal shelters and took the effort to email them, you know, maybe once a month, which I can call it spam, but, like, who's going to get upset about one email a month?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, but is there any other entrepreneurial thing that you would change from, from the very beginning? I mean, any mistakes that you, you would say, oh, if I just did this differently, yeah. things would have been better?
3: It's. I mean, I'm 31 and I make like two and a half million dollars a year, so it's hard to say how <laughs> how good this has <laughs> Um No, um, I'm pretty happy with how the last decade's gone and I just can't look back and say, man, I screwed that up. I mean, I got sued once in the last decade over a non-compete agreement. I probably would have handled that a little bit differently. Um, I've had a couple of companies starting to sue me over some stupid stuff I probably shouldn't have done. Um, but I mean, there's nothing that was like derailed me for six months of my life. I love
1: it. You, I love it. you know, so I, I
2: think that, you know, I think that um, what what's kind of funny and one of the things that you, you said, Matt, and, and I don't know if you meant it this way or not, but you said like um, you had figured out the, the algorithm if you will, that, um, that publicly traded companies had a different search engine optimization, SEO type of um, uh, rating. Right. And then you said, you said, uh, but then you started telling everybody, would, would you, would you go back and not, and like keep that close to the, to the chest or, or does it really not
3: matter because of where you've made it in your business? So, so at first, like at first, I first saw people starting to compete with me. I I thought, crap, I should have shut up about this. Um, but then I actually built some indexing tools to say, okay, what percentage of these vertical markets do I own versus these other guys? And I realized that, and you know, some of them, I probably had like, you know, 20% of stories in one of the vertical search engines are mine, and then on like the next guy was like 3%. So it's like, well, you know, he's probably taking some away from me, but it's probably not going to be probably not a huge percentage. But uh, I think definitely, I mean, the cat's been out of the bag for five years now. Um, I, I probably would have kept quiet about it frankly um, now today but you know what can you do about it I don't have a time machine.
2: Uh, you no know, Mark it was, it's funny because and the reason I asked that question is because I was talking to someone the other day and they were telling me about a, a um, marketing tool that they were using to sell land and then after they told me they're like "Oh, I shouldn't have said anything to you because you know you're you're probably going to start using it mm-hmm. and like I, I mean, I have my own little little uh, place that I I sell in. I mean, we all know it's this little place called Craigslist, right? Like it, to, to me, it's it's a good place. But I kind of had to laugh because you know it's it's like it's going to get out, right? Like there's no secrets. I mean, there's it's anybody's going to figure this out at some point in time. And um, you know may, maybe you you should enjoy it until the word gets out a little bit, and then just embrace it and move on, right? Um, but that it really comes back to, like, I guess, the, um, you know, the abundance mentality.
3: Yeah, not, not only that. like If you only have a business that is successful because nobody else knows about it, it's, it's not a very good business. Uh, your competitive advantage shouldn't be that it's a secret business. It should be that you're better than everybody else at what you do.
1: Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, Matt, this has been really great, uh, but now we're going to put you on the spot.
3: All right. And
1: we're going to ask you for your tip of the week a website, a resource, a book, something actionable where the art of passive income listeners can go right now, improve their businesses,
3: improve their lives. What have you got? Man, you guys, uh, when you asked me at the beginning of the show if I had any questions, I probably should have asked that question. Um, hold on a minute. Let me, let me pause this for a second. I'm going to go back to my startup Q&A list and see what my best idea was recently.
2: All right,
1: awesome.
3: Mark,
2: I'll tell you what I've been doing. Okay, tell me. All right, so this is a little bit of a hack, and I got this off of one of our podcast tips. But I got to tell you, it's been it's been pretty uh, cool. Is there's work that I want to get done uh, in with, with like someone based in the U.S. You know, we typically hire uh, VAs off of Upwork or other places. And the tip that was given was, "Hey, go go to like the Philippines Craigslist and find check the resumes." Yeah, well, absolutely. I, I've been doing that in my local area. And I've been scanning, and it's amazing to see how many stay-at-home moms are looking for work that they can do at home. They're U.S.-based. They they just want flexible time that they can do the work whenever they have the time to do it. I've replied to some, and they're putting these in the resumes section on Craigslist, resumes. And it's amazing the talent that you can get to do stuff as long as they can work on their own schedule. You know, when the kids are taking a nap or the kids are out, whatever, I've been very impressed with this in the last couple of weeks. Very cool. That's
1: a great tip. Matt Paulson,
2: how about your tip?
3: Yeah, uh, to follow up on that, I mostly only hire local people that like live in a place where I can come find them. <laughs> um, but, like my actual two employees that both live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota and they're both, you know, women that, um, one's a mom and one just is a housewife and they both wanted flexible work. And they're both good at what they do, and that's that's been two very good hires for me. Um, so, I, I definitely recommend stay at home moms on Craigslist as a way to find people. Um, there you go. So, so my tip um, I've talked about this a couple other places, but is to um, there's a new technology called web push notifications. Are you guys familiar with that? Yeah. Sure, sure. So, we've gotten about 51,000 people to sign up for them on our website, and every time we send out a notification, we get about 2,000 clicks. So, it is just an amazing little technology um, inside the you know, desktop web browsers, Chrome, Firefox, Safari. Um, So if you go to, like, marketbeat.com, you'll get asked. It's like, do you want to allow this website to send you push notifications? Then there's a button that says allow or block. And if you click allow, you know, that website, regardless if you're on that website, at any point in the future, can send a notification to your browser. So you can say, hey, check out my new blog post, and you could be on, say, ESPN, and you would get a notification from MarketBeat saying, hey, come to MarketBeat and check out this um, new story. Um, so it is. So really, I mean, it's kind of like email in that, like, you can just, um, you know, hit hit people up whenever you want to. You don't have to wait for them to come, na- come back to your website, and it is a little bit more ephemeral. Ephemeral people, you know, um, people that subscribe, they can become unreachable, and you just can't push to them again. But uh, it's a, you know, after email, it's it's a very hot marketing tool that most almost nobody is using for one. but two is just. It's it's so powerful. I mean, I've got advertisers paying me, you know, a dollars a click on some of these things. So just the fact that I send out a notification for them, you know, I get fifteen hundred clicks. that say two bucks a piece. You know, I make three grand from sending out a push notification for an advertiser. Not just because I thought to start collecting push notification subscribers, and they didn't.
2: Wow, now, are
3: you using a particular company? Like uh, I've looked at Push Crew. Yeah, yeah, we use OneSignal. And oh, yeah, can. I'm
1: looking at OneSignal right now for uh, WordPress.
3: Yeah, so I I like OneSignal. they like we just use their API to like send the notifications through their system. So we primarily use them as, as an infrastructure provider, and they're very good for that. There are tools to manage like your messages and view the stats and like schedule them. The, I mean, it's all there. It just the UI isn't as good as it can be, but we don't really use it, so it's not a factor. Um, I know I a lot of people use Push Crew, and there are a few others like that as well and do the same kind of thing. Um, one mistake, though, that people make a lot, with it a lot, um, so, like, if you sign up for Push Crew, it'll have, like, the Push Crew... They'll, they'll have their own version of the allow-deny thing, and then that'll take you to another page that shows the actual allow-deny thing built into the web browser. Um, don't use those intermediary things um, that, that, you know, let you do custom messaging. Um, once you add that second step into it, it will... It, it, it will really hurt your opt-in rates to these things. Um, you really want to have that built-in browser accept an I button that works a lot better than the in- intermediary, you know, pop-up buttons that they give you to opt in or not. Uh, very um, cool. The only requirement great? with that, I guess, off's done. But the only requirement with that is you do need to have a, an SSL certificate on your website, so you need to have that be HTTPS enabled. But you should be doing that anyway now. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, all right. Fantastic. Well, I just, uh, activated my one signal free web push notification on my site. Awesome. Um, great tip. Great tip. Yeah. Um, my tip of the week I think is better than everybody else tip of the week. Cause it's learn more at Matt Paulson.com. Matt Paulson.com. will have a, uh, a link to it. Um, this is great. This is great. Matt, do we, is there anything we, we didn't ask you, we should have asked. Probably. <laughs> what, what, what should we ask if we didn't ask?
3: Uh, I don't know. I, I've got a lot more tips like that. We could go on for, for hours with stuff I've been learning the last six months.
1: All right. Best best three tips last six months.
3: Go. Okay. So push notifications is definitely number one. Number two would be using Google's structured data testing tools. Um, so with websites now, the, the big trend with Google is they're – There are really paying attention to schema.org information on your website. So it's basically a way to provide Google with structured data. And there are two of their specifications. One is the schema list, and one is the schema question. If you have HTML that's formatted in the way that they want it, um, you know when you Google sometimes now, it it tries to show you the answer right at the top of the page without you clicking on anything. Mm -hmm. You can get the result. um, Marketers call it position zero. But if you set up those schema questions on your website, Um, You know, sometimes you can get those spots and, um, you know, we rank zero for a lot of questions. And it's, um, you know, that's been a very nice little source of web traffic that, you know, again, not a lot of people are doing yet.
1: Structured data testing tool preview, a free Chrome extension. Do you recommend getting the the Chrome extension?
3: Uh, It's not. uh, I just use it. They have a website URL for it. Okay. So if you look up, like, the schema.org question specification and... Then you put some of those questions and answers on your website, um, Quora does this, then you can you can get some of those positions, your spots, and it's um, some really good traffic because you know, you're know you gonna be at the top of the page.
1: Ah, I love it, I yeah. love it. Um, okay, so I'm going to my site right now, and I'm gonna say test your structured data, run test. Yep. And?
3: probably say nothing, because you'd probably, like unless you've intentionally set it up, it will come back as blank.
1: Well, no, I've got something here. Oh, cool! Uh, I have zero error, error, zero warnings, but it's all—it's—I don't understand how to read it. <laughs> I don't know.
3: Yeah, it's—it—it's it, it, it's, there's a learning curve to it, definitely.
1: All right, well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. All right, um, second, third—that's your. You got two tips now. What? Another one?
3: Boom! Sure. Go. So, uh... No no pressure, Matt. Go. Sure. So if you are writing an email to you want your audience to do something, you have an email list, send them a a, a literally a two sentence email. The first sentence is a question like, Hey, are you still interested in XYZ question mark? And like if you are, comma, click this link. So it's that that type of email. Um, digital Marketer calls calls these like a nine-word email because there's nine words in email. But the the open rates tend to be very high, people actually read them, they take action on them because it only takes like a second to read. And they get through pretty much every spam filter in the world. So when I send out like a nine word email, my open rate tends to be about 30 to 40% higher than it normally is. And the click through rate tends to be usually about twice as good as it normally is. And it's just because it's short, it's concise, if it gets through every spam filter in the world, people actually take the time to read it. Then if they're interested, they'll click and take action. So.
1: Great to,
3: tip. You don't have to write like a four paragraph email because who wants to read a four paragraph email anyway? So keep it really short and sweet.
1: So do you do this for all your emails? Because I write like five emails a week.
3: No, it's, uh, it, it's something to pull out of the hat maybe once a week. Um, once a week, okay. Yeah, I, I couldn't do it for everything. Um, but it's when you've got something simple you want people to do, like read an article, you know, it's you know, a really nice way to get people to take action.
1: Yeah. Are you interested in dominating Craigslist? Click here. Yeah. I mean, that. it doesn't
2: have That's to be. That's really bad. good. That's really good. More yeah. complicated than that.
1: Boom. I'm I'm going to start doing that. I'm doing
2: that today. I'm no, Scott, right.
1: I, I'm doing it today.
2: No, no. I'm doing it right now, Mark. I already did it. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. <laughs> no, you didn't. Trust me. I can see you. Fine. I can see your screen.
3: Fine. Fine. I, I've I, got... I've got two more of these if you really want Let's go. Two more. Come Let's on. go.
2: Matt, right. we,
1: we love it. We're, we're sucking out all the genius from Matt Paulson. In fact, yeah. um, after this podcast, I'm going to have you on speed dial.
3: All right. So two more. One is the Accelerated Mobile Pages Project, Google AMP.
1: Um, oh, go, do I go to Google
3: AMP? Yeah. Um, just Yeah, Google space AMP. Okay. And this is a specification for like really mobile-friendly news content or and they're expanding to e-commerce and a bunch of other spaces now. But it is a kind of a subset of HTML that's supposed to load really fast on mobile web browsers. And if you do it, Google is right now. They have what's called a search carousel where they're giving people that have this AMP-friendly content um, you know, kind of an extra position on top in mobile. You can get a lot of free page views. We're probably getting about 10,000 page views a day from our AMP stuff from people on their mobile phones searching for stuff on Google that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So it's been a nice little traffic source. I've had my developer make really mobile friendly you know, pages that you know have our you know normal ads in them or normal email opt-ins, but it just looks really good on a phone. So one, it's creating a good experience for your users, but two, Google is also sending you more people because you're doing what they want you to do, which is to create these really nice fast mobile web pages.
1: Wow. Um I love it. Yep. I love it. Because you know, I've got an app right now for the Lion Geek. It's not that good. I think this could be better.
3: Yeah. I, I think most people that want apps don't need apps. If you've got a website, you probably don't need an app. Exactly. Exactly. Uh,
1: okay. So, awesome. So, that was WAMP Mobile. Or no. Amp. Womp Mobile. Okay. Um, Google Amp, A-M-P. Google Amp. Okay. So, maybe I went to the wrong place because I went to, it's a beautiful Google Amp development. Yeah, um,
3: yeah, that's probably a service for AMP.
1: Oh, okay. So I want to go to the ampproject.org.
3: Yeah, ampproject.org is the the site for it. Got it. All okay. right. Well, one more, last one. Um, so there are, you know, we all have websites, um, and most of us have no idea how people are actually using our websites and interacting with them. Right. Uh, so there could be a whole bunch of people that are getting stuck on one part of your website. They don't understand where the, where to click. And if you had moved the button around, and if you knew where to put the button, then you could get much better results and get people to take the action that you want them to. And the way to um, really figure this out is to use a technology called session replays. So it literally um, records what users are doing on your website and how they're mousing around, what they're hovering over, um, you know, what they're clicking on, and just kind of replays like what they were doing as if you were standing behind them in their room as, as they were on your website. Uh, There are a few services that do this, Clicktail is one of them, Mouseflow is another, Hotjar is one, I think we use Hotjar on our website, Um, but it actually records those sessions and those mouse movements and what people clicked on, when they did, um, so that way if people are getting stuck on your website or like on the landing page especially and they're not taking the action that you want them to, you know, maybe the button's in the wrong place. And, you know, if you watch several of these session replays and you see... Um, people make the same mistakes over and over again. Um, and you can know that you probably have a user interface issue. Mark, yeah, I, cool. I,
2: I actually used Hotjar on my my Moto site. And mm-hmm. it was amazing because I had a slider, you know, like that would just change out the pictures, but I only had one picture because I didn't want to have it show. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, arrows on each side of the picture. And what Hotjar showed me is that people were actually clicking on the arrows Even though, I mean, the arrows were there, but there was no other content. There was nowhere else for them to go, but they were clicking on the arrows. So I'm like, wow, that's pretty powerful to know that people are looking for more pictures, more stuff. And, uh, I mean, it's amazing what, like, a hot jar can can do to tell you the story of your user experience.
1: Matt, how many users do we need to have click around before we know, okay, this is
2: an issue? Not many.
3: No, I mean, you just... I mean, how many session replays can one person realistically listed watch? If somebody spends a minute on your website, you're going to spend 100 minutes watching 100 people on your website? I mean, right,
2: right, exactly. The, the heat maps. The heat maps were the most important for me. Yeah. Like, was, because the heat maps, it, it looks at where the mouse is going, where the cursor is going, mm-hmm. and it records it. And, and then it shows you, like, this is where people are taking the mouse. And then you can
3: put put that content over there.
1: So do you guys like hot jar over everything else? Um,
3: I wish I had a good answer for this. I actually delegated it to my one of my employees, and she's been messing with it, and I haven't.
1: Okay. All right. Well, cool. I liked cool. it. You know, we could take it fancy hands and say, hey, of these heat map companies, which is the best. Do some research.
3: Yep. Okay. So, Matt, any, any more tips? Uh, I think that's it for now. That You guys basically heard half my conference talk at MicroConf <laughs> next week. So,
1: this is great. great. That is great. Well, thank you so much. I want to remind the listeners the only way we're going to get the quality of guests like a Matt Paulson at MattPaulson.com to come on this podcast is if you do us three little favors. You go, you subscribe, you rate, and you review the podcast. Send us a screenshot of your review at supports at thelandgeek.com. We're going to send you for free the $97 Passive Income Launch Kit. Just want to remind everybody today's podcast is sponsored by postingdomination.com com forward slash the language. Cause look and Matt will agree. You can always make more money, but you can't get more time. So start automating, automate the Craigslist postings, automate your Facebook postings, automate your life, right? Scott, are we going to, we should read a book about this. We should. Yeah, we should, you know, Ari Maizel took a great title, less doing more living. It should be, something we'll, we'll, we'll like rip it off like let's do anything.
2: the art of automation
1: yeah the, yeah the art of living
3: better i don't know
1: matt you like that
3: yeah i think there i think there's a book there just stuff that everybody does that can be automated that uh i mean like anybody that that still pays their bills like and writes out a check they're they're idiots because like,
1: <laughs> i think I mean, like Anyone who's doing errands anymore? Like yes. I do everything on Amazon and online. their shipped app. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uber, Uber
3: Eats. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We. I live in a town of 150,000 people. We don't have all that cool stuff, but.
2: <laughs> oh, it, it'll come to you, man. The drones. I of, read today that that now drones like they're they got drones that will bring you cash. There's no reason to go to the
3: ATM anymore. That would be a fun drone to shoot out of the sky and. Yeah. Yeah. No, I saw that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I saw that on. Uh, I forgot where I saw it, but yeah, uh, Hunt, that's, I think, Hunt, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's so cool. All right. So Scott Todd, are we good? We're good. Mark. Matt Paulson. Are we good? Yes, I think we are. All right. Well, again, I want to thank all the listeners Scott. You ready?
2: I got anxiety, but let's go. Let's try
1: one, one two, two,
0: three, three. let, let
2: freedom, freedom ring ring.